Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha, I'm so happy to have you here with me today for the conversation that I'm going to have with Barbara Legere. She has a a powerful story to tell, and I think it's one that we need to address more in our society today. I actually was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday about how it seems like there's so much more suicide now. And he said, I think maybe we're just paying more attention to it now. So maybe talking about it is going to make a difference in what goes on. So welcome, Barbara. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me. And sure, um, I am a native of California, Southern California. And let's see, what about myself? I I worked in administrative work for years. And then the last few years of my son's life, I wasn't working. I was doing everything I could to help him. And I, he was my only child. I raised him as a single parent and we were very close, but unfortunately love cannot save someone who is determined to end their life. Yes, I've heard that from uh, too many people, you know. And I think the person you were talking to who said we just know about it more is is correct. I think it's been going on for years. As a child, I lost two cousins and two friends. And I just think with, you know, all the information we get today and the statistics and social media, we do hear about it more, which is helpful because there needs to be awareness there really does. And I like how you um, were able to write your book to help spread that awareness. What was that like for you to write that book? Well, it was unexpected because I had no plan to write the book. Three months after Calvin passed, I just got this, this nagging feeling inside. It was almost like he was telling me, You've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. (laughs) So I did. I sat down. I I joined a writing group, which really helped me. And I sat down and I wrote his story. I started with the end and then I filled in the beginning. But I wanted to share not just his story, because there's there are so many stories and his is not unique. But I wanted to share about addiction, mental illness and a lot of the things that people don't realize goes on in the lives of those and their families because it's traumatic. It's a traumatic way to live. And he lived that way for 12, 12 to 15 years, depending on when I count the beginning. But um, I think awareness is everything. And especially these days with um, the fentanyl coming out. Mm. That is, I didn't write about that in my book specifically, but I could write a whole book just on that. That needs to be like on the news every night. It needs, people need to be aware because children are dying. 
It's amazing. I, and I think that the awareness is is just really vital. I, I was just thinking about when I, I grew up in a very small town and we didn't talk about things like that. And when it came to mental illness, everybody kind of thought, well, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can just get better and go on. And that's that's just not so. I, I when uh, at one of my jobs, I've had lots of jobs in my varied careers, but one of them, I was working at a psychi- psychiatric facility. And that made me so aware of there's there's no bootstraps. No, they're, they're just it's some people have challenges that are just beyond the reach of anybody else being able to help them. And it's not because they want to. It's not. Yeah. People aren't trying to get attention. It's, it's just uh, actually a mental illness. Absolutely. And with my son, he, because he was also a drug addict using heroin and often meth, it was very hard for him to get, a true diagnosis. He had been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder and bipolar, and his main things were the most common, depression and anxiety. And people think of those as normal things that everybody goes through, which is true. We all do go through those, but not to the point where it is debilitating and we can't even leave the house. We can't even get out of bed without help. So that's what he struggled with. And there is hope for people that have mental illness, though. I I have another young woman in my life who is doing so good right now because she's on the right medications. She's doing the right things. And I see a huge improvement in her. And she's going to be able to get a little job and, you know, kind of have her life back after years of just suffering. Do you know how she reached out, how she she started getting help? Uh, yes, her boyfriend. One, one thing she would do was just get up in the middle of the night and leave. Hmm. And she lived in an area that was not really safe. One night she got up in the middle of the night and left, and he could not find her. He looked everywhere for days. And so this young man, her boyfriend, called her father, who drove up to like six hours to where they were. And together they eventually found her. And she was just passed out in on the street. And so her father took her home back down here where I live. And um, they found they didn't have at first they didn't have anywhere to put her. It, it's so difficult. This is the part that drives me crazy. It is so difficult. There are not enough places for someone with mental illness to go and get help. So the first thing they found just to have her in a environment where she was, you know, taken care of was a trial, a drug trial. Hmm. So they paid for her to live in this house with some other people and they monitored her and that gave her a place to live and it gave her a start on medication. And then after that, her father did find a place for um, mental ill recovery and she stayed there for 90 days, got a really good psychiatrist They monitored her her meds, and she started to improve. Once that 90 days was up, um, now she's living in a sober living home. Um, She did use drugs in the past. She's not now, but it's the only place they have to put her. Unfortunately, he can't have her living with him. But 
I see her improving. She's not hearing the voices that she was hearing. She's able to focus more. And it's it's beautiful. I've known her since she was a kid. And I see the real person coming back. So there is hope. There is hope. That's such a wonderful story because we, we all hear the other stories all the time. And it's wonderful to hear that there is, is a way to for getting help. And yes. I, I know the facilities in California anyway, I don't live in California anymore, but when, when I lived there, I know that the facilities were very limited. If you had a ton of money and could go to one of the like dry out centers, you could go there, but that would help all you're in and then you're gone and then you need to go back in. It's it's not that they they got you to a position where you could sustain once you left. Exactly. I mean, and there's so many times when my son asked for help and because he had drugs in his system, none of the hospitals or mental health places would take him because he had heroin in his system. And then so so we'd say, okay, well, let's go to drug rehab instead. Well, they wouldn't take him because he was on mental health medication and they wouldn't take him. It was so frustrating. And when he was suicidal, um, which he was for years, and he would come and tell me, we would definitely take him to the emergency at the one hospital in our area that has a mental health facility in it. And they would put him on a 72-hour hold, put him on some medications, and then let him go. But 72 hours does not, it's like putting a Band-Aid, a little tiny Band-Aid on a huge gaping wound. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, it is. And I I recall one instance where a mother got a call from, a, a, it was a hospital that had a place where they could do the 72-hour holds. And they said, your son wanted us to let you know that he's here. He's He's been here for 72 hours. He, he brought himself in and he was just discharged. And I said, well, what was he there for? And I thought with patient confidentiality, I was very surprised that they said because he was feeling suicidal. And I thought, how could they just say that over the phone to a mom that they're calling on the phone? And she said, well, where is he? And they said, well, we, he left. And I said, who did he go with? Uh, he walked out when he was discharged. So we don't know. And she said, well, I'm going to come and start driving around the hospital and see if I can find him. And they said, don't do that. They said, he, he needs some space from you. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this is making me mad. <laughs> oh yeah. It made me mad. It made me really mad. Cause it's just, uh, we just, I think in general, don't know what to do with people that really, really need help. Yeah. And there, there's just got to be a way in our society that we can do something more for them. I've, I've I heard agree. of, yeah, there's, there's wonderful things that I've heard of that's happened. Um, one of them, well, it was a, a case where somebody, it was, a, he it was an adult, an older adult, and he realized that if he kept going the way he was going when he got out of the facility that he was in, that there was only one way that it would end and he didn't want to do that. And so he decided, well, what do I want to do? And he had had it together enough to create a, a facility in another country. 
that's become phenomenally successful and and he's completely clean and sober and has done amazing things but that's the exception story yeah (laughs) but it, it also like with your friend that you were just describing it can be done it can mm-hmm. be done if there are people who are are willing to help and get out there and do it. Yes, you need a lot of support around you when you're going through it. Just, you know, a lot of support and good doctors and a safe place to live. And that's what they don't have. That's what they yeah. don't have available. But except, like you said, if you have a yeah. lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... How did writing the book help you? Do you feel like it helped you to tell your story or your um, story? It helped me because it gave me a purpose. Um, it helped me because I knew that once I lost him in that second, my life changed forever. It, it was almost like, well, what do I do now? Everything, all my heart, my thinking, everything went into him for years. And without him, I just felt like, what do I do? So that was my attempt at making a difference by educating people, but also writing the book. I wrote it three months after he passed and it took me a year and a half. So that year and a half is probably the hardest part of grieving a child that first year. And so it gave me something to focus on every single day that at least would take me out of my grief for a little while to focus on writing the book. And I wanted to honor him with it. I wanted it to be something that he would be proud of. That's it's so admirable that, uh, that you did that and, and that you stuck with it. I think a lot of times people, when once they start getting deeply into something it overwhelms them and it's hard for them to keep going and i think it's a, a real testament to your strengths that that you kept going and that you completed it and you got it published and and you are helping people by having that information out there thank you so much i attribute a lot of it to my writing group and if i just suggest to anyone that's thinking of writing a book to join a writing group and make sure you really like the people because they cheered me on. They were there. They taught me things. And I still talk to them every day. I'm still in the group, even though I'm not writing a book right now, because they're like my family. So that helped a lot. How did you find that group? I read a book by Anna David, and it was called Make Your Mess Your Memoir, because mm. I wanted it to be like a memoir type of book. Yeah. Um, after I read her book, she had mentioned, oh, I remember it. She, I had a consultation with her over the phone. Mm. Tell her my whole idea of what my book and ask her, do you think I have a book here? And she said, well, absolutely you have a book. And then she offered for me to try out her writing group. So it's something that she sponsors ah. the launch pad. And, but anyone can join. We have two times a year where you can join it. I don't know what those times are. They seem kind of random, but um, you could find out by going to Legacy Launchpad and looking it up. And there are lots of groups out there. You can do a Google and try to find a group. You can join a Facebook group for writers. There are a lot of options. I I love the idea of of the support of having somebody that can read what's going on. I know when I was uh, writing my book, I was 
kind of isolated. We had moved to Maui just two years before my husband died because he lived here a long time before I knew him and he still had lots of friends and he just really had loved living on Maui and that's where he wanted to be with his health the way it was. And so once he died, I hadn't met that many people because I was taking care of him. And I'm so glad I wrote the book. I'm, I'm a writer and it just kind of, I, I had a great inspiration for starting the book and writing it. And it it served me so well. But the one thing that I didn't have was anybody to share with me to, you know, uh, boost me up or <laughs> say, keep going or, you know, read yeah. what I wrote or give me exactly. some input or exactly like that. And that's what the group does, all of those things, plus more. <laughs> I mean, we know each other so well, and we're so diverse. It's almost funny how diverse our group is. So, yeah, if you write another book, you need to get in touch with me, and I'll have you come in our group because it's wonderful. That would be really great. Yeah. Um, how many people are in your group? Um, there's probably about uh, 25 people that are in the group that pay a monthly fee to be in the group but the people that show up every day because we meet monday through friday wow. for one hour and the way it works is the first five minutes we talk then we write and then for the last five minutes we talk now usually at the last five minutes turns in 15 minutes because we like talking but um then how many people were in the oh, group how many and, people yeah. so i'd say probably eight or nine are the ones that show up all the time. There are little core group that have been there and they're all in different stages of writing a book or they just published one and now they're working on marketing. But yeah, we kind of hold each other's hands and our facilitator's written 18 books. So he really wow. knows what he's talking about and has given us invaluable information that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, and the facilitator's there every day? Every day. That's amazing. Yeah, every day. And we're spread out over the country and actually one person in Sweden. So wow. for me, it's 10 a.m., which I like. For other people, it's different times, but they still manage to show up. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Oh, uh, what advice would you give to someone who was is in your shoes that you were in? What, what could you tell them for them to take care of them? Well, the most important thing, I think, is if you are the one suffering, is to reach out, to let someone know, someone in your family, your closest friend, and let them know you want help. You want help. And you may have to ask them to get you help because you're just not even capable of picking up the phone or doing research or anything. So I think reaching out is the most important thing. And for the person in my shoes who has a family member that's suffering, to be there, to be aware, to offer the help, do whatever it takes to get them the help, which as we just spoke about, is not easy. And if you have someone who is suicidal, it is, you know, it's not easy. With my son, he talked about it for years. And, you know, I envisioned it happening. I tried to prepare myself mentally that it might happen someday. And then it happened. I I don't think there was anything I could do beyond what I already did to stop it. 
In some cases, you can just keep a very close eye on a person, but you pretty much have to be with them 24 hours a day. And that happened with a friend of mine years ago. He planned it out so that he said to his brother, oh, I'm going to the party with Barbara. And he said to me, I'm going to the party with my brother. So we get to this party an hour away and he's not there because his plan was, well, no one's around. I'm going to do it. And he did. Oh, wow. So it's just very sad. A lot of young people are taking their lives. And when I read about that and on some of the groups I belong to, bullying is probably the number one reason a young person, like 14, 15, 12, I mean, some of them are so young. And that is tragic. If, If you have that situation, boy, you need to do something drastic because the kids at that age don't have the maturity or, you know, the mental capacity to figure out how to get through it. It's just like their life is terrorized. So that's real heartbreaking. It really is. And it made me think too about, it seemed like a while ago that everybody was talking about bullying and now it's not a hot topic anymore. Nobody's talking about it, but it didn't stop. (laughs) No, it didn't. So it most definitely is going on. And uh, if, if anybody sees something like that, it's a it's a good idea to be able to step in. Yes, absolutely. And my son was bullied. That wasn't, I don't think, his reasoning, but it didn't certainly didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't understand why people <laughs> bully somebody else. It makes yeah. no sense to me, but it happens, I know, all the time. Tell me about how you're doing now. Oh, well, at this moment, I'm doing okay. It's kind of a moment by moment thing. Um, Two months, let's see, two months before his two year anniversary, which was in August, I was a wreck. Those two months, I just knew this date was coming up and somehow that just tore me up inside. I was so depressed. But on a day to day basis, I do feel like he's around me. I feel like I still talk to him. I don't know if he can hear me or not, but I still do. That helps me a lot to think that we're still connected and that he can hear me. So I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I mean, when it hits, it hits so hard, so deep that it's literally painful in my chest, but you just have to go through it. You can't. It's not going to go away, I don't think, ever, but it does get further and fewer between, or fewer and further between. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying there, and and thank goodness for that, you know, that, that you have some breathing room yeah. as you move forward. Is it, yeah, I, I think helping others helps me a lot, too. I mean, there's certain people that I know that I try to reach out to all the time. And that just gives me a sense of purpose too. Like, you know, I don't have him anymore. So I'm going to try and help somebody else that maybe doesn't have a mom that's supportive. That's wonderful. That's that's such a a great thing to do. That's as much for me as it is for them though. Oh yeah. And it's good. You know, it's really mutually beneficial. Absolutely. A, a wonderful thing to do. 
So it'd be wonderful to have more people like you in our society to to reach Thank out you. and and be there for people. That's it's quite so a gift you're giving. Thank you so much. Well, uh, this has been quite a conversation, and it's something that, in general, people don't talk about, and I think it needs to be talked about. I, yes. I think the the shame needs to be taken away from it. The blame needs to be taken away from it. And I like the um, the trend now. It used to always be said that somebody committed suicide, and now it's you say they died by suicide. Exactly, because when you say he committed suicide, that word is usually only used in a negative way, like he committed a crime or he committed some terrible act. So yeah, that's, I think that's really important. I even slip once in a while and catch myself saying that because I'm it's just so standard, mm -hmm. but I tried very hard never to use that term. Yeah. I, I think that's really important that that alone can do a lot about the stigma that yes. surrounds the subject. If if we could all just do that, yes, the stigma is is just got to go. Yes. Well, is there anything else you'd like to take tell us, or well, just to add on to what we were just talking about about how difficult it is to talk about it? I find that people who have lost someone, anyone, for any reason, it's hard for others to know what to say to the grieving person especially in the case of an overdose or a suicide death, it makes them so uncomfortable. But um, my suggestion and what all the hundreds of moms I've talked to agree with is that we want to talk about our child. We want to share about what a wonderful person they were. We want to bring it up. And so when our friends and family suddenly stop asking, how are you doing? Or bringing the person up, it hurts. It hurts a lot. And that's the common thing. It's just people don't talk about it. They don't want to bring it up and make you sad as if you're not already thinking about it every second of every day. So I just think that's helpful. If you know someone who's struggling with grief, just to ask them, you know, hey, do you feel like talking about your person today? Or I am here all the time to talk about whatever you want related to this. And just giving that open door, I think that that's helped me a lot too. I, that that's so wise. I mean, people. That's one of the things that when I give talks, that's what people want to know about. What do you say to someone? And usually, the first thing I tell them to do is don't avoid. Oh, well, that's negative. Talk about their loved one. I know when when somebody says to me something about how much Ron helped them with something or how much they enjoyed seeing Jacques sing or that that sort of thing, that's so much better. And it, and it, for both of you, you know, you both yeah. can smile and have a happy memory with exactly. with whatever it is. That is my favorite thing in the whole world now. And if one of his friends comes across a picture of him on their phone and texts it to me, it's like the biggest gift because I can't take any more pictures and it's like getting a new picture just those little thoughtful things and it doesn't have to be sad conversations I mean when Kevin's friends come over we laugh the whole time we just talk about silly things he did and yeah it's it's a gift it really is oh that's so wonderful well before we go tell us something 
great about your son? Something you like to remember him for? Well, I think one thing that stands out about Kevin, other than being extremely intelligent, he was so generous and loyal. He was just the kind of person that would be there for anybody. And those are the kind of stories that I hear from his friends that just warm my heart. Like the girls will say, well, if we were stuck at a party or on a bad date, we knew who to call. Kevin would come get us no matter where we were, what time it was. Um, that's just how he was. Friends were so important to him. He was very loving. He had a quirky sense of humor. <laughs> he was a good person with a very sweet heart, a very sweet heart. Oh, that's so beautiful. So beautiful. I love to see you smile as you're talking about him. It's just wonderful. Yeah, it's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> that's so great. And I I hope that you have lots more opportunities to do that because that, that's just, it's so sweet and wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you sharing your time with us here today that the more that we can talk openly about uncomfortable subjects, where every time we do something like that, we're making things a little better. And who knows who you're going to affect deeply by something that you say with a conversation like this. Absolutely. I agree. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Emily, for having me. I really enjoyed it. And to our listeners, I will have the link to Barbara's book in the show notes so that you can order it yourself and more about Barbara there with uh, her bio so that you can learn more about her. And I'm grateful that you listened today. And I hope you'll take this seriously to speak the name of someone who dies when you're talking to their loved one. It, it makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.